1: Welcome to the Central City Citizen, a PoppyChulaRadio.com original series. Poppy Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, March 2nd, 2023, and I'm your host, Professor X. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's The Flash. Please welcome my co-host, Dimitri Jasinger. What's happening, Central City? And Jeffrey Aruz.
2: Hello, Central City, and uh, hello to the denizens of Gotham City from Earth, what I'm going to call Vengeance.
1: Well, let's jump into our discussion of Season 9, Episode 4, which was titled Mask of the Red Death, Part 1, and aired on March 1st, 2023. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. The Flash is forced to make an impossible choice. With the power out in the city, Team Flash calls upon the Rogue Squad to help as Iris is visited by an old friend. Joe and Cecile work on finding a balance. The summaries are getting shorter with every episode as we go deeper into the season. I'm, I'm sure by the end of the season, it's just going to be... Barry. And that'll be it. Anyway, so we start out at the Red Death Slayer where we get to a, an interestingly shot sort of opening montage. It didn't last very long. It was just this series of shots that I thought was like really, you know, fun and creative. But they didn't really go anywhere with it, which was a shame. I thought we were going to get into one of those episodes where you, you really feel the director's fingerprints on it. Uh, but it was really just for that opening montage. Um, anyway, we see uh, Mark is at work uh, building the cosmic treadmill. treadmill. Uh, the Red Death doesn't, theory, is working fast enough. It uh, still needs a power source, but Red Death tells him to leave that to her and then dashes off to recruit another mouse or villain as she sees it to their cause. Shout out to the writers for letting her mention Batman's famous line about criminals being a superstitious and cowardly lot. Uh, Dimitri, any thoughts on the opening scene beside the fact that Red Death has terrible managerial skills?
0: Um, I do think, um, you know, and maybe it's just, you know, bias now that, we know that it's Javisha Leslie But I I feel like I am hearing More of a hint of Ryan Wilder Like in her voice or something It's becoming more believable That this is Ryan Wilder Or, you know, a Ryan Wilder Um, And I did like that Um, You know, they sort of introduced the whole You know, there is no Batman in her timeline And it's all her which is kind of a, a cutesy CWA of uh, getting around the uh, the fact that we don't have rights to Batman, so we're going to make Arrow, I mean uh, Red Death. So um, I I did like that, you know, in addition to sort of bringing in, you know, this whole like Batman-esque storyline, they are kind of circumventing the, the Batman issue, and so All of the darkness that comes with, you know, broody Bruce Wayne uh, as we as we know him um, kind of feels more fitting as opposed to, you know, this is a Ryan who grew up exactly like the Ryan we love for Batwoman. And for some reason, she's just, you know, gone way over the deep end. And, you know, that would almost hint that our beloved Ryan, you know, is also just one step away from the deep end, which would be a sad
1: lookout for us Batwoman fans everywhere. Well, you're you're getting a bit ahead because, you know, we don't realize as viewers in the episode, you know, at this point, you know, we are supposed to think that this is our Ryan Wilder who somehow, you know, been transformed. We don't find out about her, uh, you know, her alternate backstory until, until considerably later. And I think a lot of the uh, the lifting in the episode uh, is designed around us, you know, expecting uh, or presuming that this must be our Ryan Wilder because, you know, there's nothing to indicate, uh, you know, the. And once she reveals it, you know everything becomes clear. But I think we're supposed to think, just like Iris is supposed to think, uh, in that moment that oh, this must be my old pal Ryan. Um, although that becomes problematic. Did you did you Ryan. ever think that I was I was so sure that this was some sort of alternate Ryan? No, you know what? Last episode, when we heard that she'd uh, gone missing, uh, I was thinking, oh, that must mean that, you know, the Red Death has, you know, corrupted her in some way. Um, so, uh, you know, by this episode, no. I mean, and even we, when we saw her with the uh, the Pepe Le Pew streak in her hair, I didn't think that indicated you're from another uh, universe. Because, of course, if she was from another universe, she'd have a goatee. Oh, mm-hmm. the Pepe Le Pew streak. I like that. I guess you get the Pepe Le Pew streak or you get the goatee. You don't get both.
2: Well, maybe there is a universe out there where you get both.
1: You know what? In an infinite universe, anything is possible. At the West household, Joe is reading Jenna a bedtime story when Cecile discovers a real estate pamphlet for a house in Keystone City. Joe thinks they should buy the house in order to give Jenna a normal life. Cecile is not on board. Jeff, we've talked over the past couple of weeks, I guess since the first episode, uh, about Joe wanting to move away and thinking there was another shoe that had to drop. We, We didn't have sufficient justification. For why Joe would want to leave, especially if it meant leaving, uh, you know, uh, uh, Iris and Barry. Uh, well, the shoe dropped this week. Um, we may as well jump ahead to their discussion. Uh, so, Jeff, what did you think about Joe's argument? I found myself, for the first time since he broached the idea back in in episode one, I found myself agreeing with him. Um, you know, especially given what happens uh, later in the uh, the episode, that I think Joe has a point. Not just you know, uh, you know, for Jenna to have a normal life, but for Jenna to be safer it makes more sense. And, and also, I think the, the shock reveal uh, that no one was expecting was just how cheap houses are in Keystone City. That's crazy.
2: Right. Um, because you talk so much, this, this, this little shade, it won't make as much sense, but you said, let's let's jump ahead and talk about other stuff. I was going to say, let's jump ahead before Dimitri does. Slight shade for Dimitri. But <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay, so... When this storyline started again in this episode, and he had gotten a pamphlet, and all that sort of stuff, I was just like, "I don't like this storyline. It just seems so ridiculous. It's like the only way that the writers know how to get rid of characters on the Flash is to make them move. I mean, it happened with Cisco. I mean, he kind of needed to because he was a series regular, so it's not like he could just be, you know, parading around Central City." With his girlfriend. Well, they've uh, also
1: killed everyone who's ever dated Caitlyn, so, I mean, that's another way to get rid of them. They did do that, yes. And they called Keon Caitlin in this episode, which confused me. But anyway, maybe
2: we'll get to that at some point. I don't know if both of y'all heard I
1: didn't it. catch that.
2: Yes, Barry goes, Caitlin's
1: right. Hmm, I wonder if that was an accident on the set or if it was something more intentional.
2: Exactly. But anyway, back to Papa Joe and, and Mama Cecile. So when Joe finally breaks down and expresses the whole concept of I feel like my children did not have um you know a a or or yeah my children did not really have a stable household and now that they're grown ups there isn't stability in central city so I'm very scared of that and I would love my daughter to who we finally see on screen after
1: Maybe two and a half seasons. But before you go on, I just want to ask, okay. do you think it was an in-joke by the writers with Cecile going, you've grown so much? You think I hope. Was like a little, you know, yeah. like that was a little wink at the audience. Yeah, we get it too.
2: I hope so. It, it was cute. I mean, it was also, I mean, let's be real. I feel like parents do that all the time when they haven't seen their kids. Like maybe at half a day, have you grown? So it, it was kind of like a parent thing to do. But I think it was also a wink and a nod for us because we haven't seen the child in – I, and I mean, I know that I was kind of joking around saying two and a half seasons, but I actually feel like that's the truth. We haven't seen her in like two and a half seasons. But anyway, um, like when he expressed himself, because it's Joe and uh, I trust Joe and I believe in Joe and he is kind of like the, um, you know, uh, the, the moral standard of the series. I completely understood what he was saying. And I even felt for him So once that was fully expressed, you know, everything else from the previous couple of episodes kind of made sense. And I felt like he made a strong argument. I wasn't 100% sold just because, like, I don't want them to move. Like, the whole family is there in Central City, even though it's just a two-hour drive away. But still, like, their whole family is there, and and their sort of makeshift family, you know, with their friends and that sort of thing. So I think it's a bad decision. But if this is, you know, the storyline that they're giving them in the final season, I'm actually more okay with it now, based off of how Joe expressed himself, than I was initially... Clearly, things change, and we'll get to that when we get to that.
1: At Star Labs, Chester's still dealing with things being awkward between himself and the because, of course, he is. What else could we possibly have in this show? But there's no time to deal with that because they're still trying to find Red Death. Uh, Red Death shows up in Central City and Flash responds and tries to hug it out, bro. Well, talk it out anyway. But Red Death has come armed with Roy Bivolo, who uses his powers to incapacitate the Flash, which allows Red Death to engulf the city in darkness and kidnap Flash for his own or her own nefarious purposes. Now, it makes sense that there would be an unexpected rogue from the past to take Barry down. Uh, but, Dmitri, did you think he was taken out too easily? Does it sometimes seem like Barry's been doing this for nine weeks rather than nine years?
0: Yeah, um, it. It kind of, honestly, with these shows, uh, well, with this show's sort of action sequence, it almost feels like, you know what, just roll with it because it does feel like, you know, Barry's going to go wherever the plot is going to go. Is he the, fla- the fastest man alive? I almost said the flashiest man alive. Oh, you know, he probably is sure. too. But, uh, but, you know, he's slow when it matters for him to get captured. He's, uh, you know, he has infinite time if, you know, he gets caught by surprise, but the season's running out of episodes. But, like, if, uh, if he needs to get captured, sometimes it's just inexplicable, and he kind of gets dusted right away as though he's fighting Darkseid or somebody. So, honestly, at this point, I kind of roll with it, but, yeah, he did get dusted pretty quickly. Do we remember Bivolo? Not at all. I... I was I I vaguely remember somebody making eye contact with you and that being bad, but I, I, I did not remember the name Bivolo. I did not remember his face. I mean, we cycle through so many metas, uh, each week. It's, it really feels like, uh, you know, of the, of the villains they're choosing, um, to make a reappearance, like, uh, the the selection is is iffy choose people who are more recent or if they were all going to you know make a reappearance you know have them in a few episodes you know each season or something so that we are you know remembered reminded of their of their presence like it just i don't know it feels it feels so weird
2: or is this a situation like what i mentioned before is this a rogue that they dealt with In the off-season, a.k.a. in the time between the episodes, where they're clearly living their lives doing stuff, and uh, we just don't get any... um, No, I remember Bivolo Oh, you remember
1: Bivolo? uh, Yeah, he was a meta, Um, just because his name is like Roy G. Biv, which is how you remember the the colors of the spectrum. I think I remember you actually mentioning that in that podcast. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Yeah. Uh, At the lair, Flash is revealed to be Death's power source for the cosmic treadmill, and a lot more is revealed as well. Red Death is a woman. Well, it's revealed to Barry. We knew it last week, and some of us knew it last summer. Thank you. Spoilers. Mark steps in to protect Barry's secret identity. At Star, the team realizes they don't have a way to contact or even find Barry. Uh, Keon suggests calling on the good rogues, and Chester realizes they can use their low tech to call them in. Uh, Jeff. Leaving aside Barry's rampant sexism in assuming that Red Death was a man, check your privilege, Barry. Any thoughts on the scene? I thought it kind of played into one of the tropes that, that I mentioned last week, which was the possibility that Mark was, uh, you know, a, a hidden, uh, you know, a, a mole, basically, within the evil rogues. Uh, and we would find out that he was, you know, working with Barry all along. And I thought they sort of threw this scene in there to uh, to lead us down that path, to make us think that's what was happening, even though it obviously wasn't.
2: Yeah, unfortunately it wasn't. That scene in particular, outside of Roy, not Roy, for G. Biv, outside of Barry, uh, sort of now understanding that uh, he's dealing with a female big bad, um, I thought the scene uh, was interesting because we had um, our friend-ish, um, Chilblaine, lying about there being a booby trap in the cowl. So it was like, okay, so you're kind of still an ally-ish, even though you double-crossed. So this is, this has been, the scene has been created to show that even though you are selfishly doing things with the baddie of, um, this graphic novel you are still somewhat of an honorable person so that when you eventually um get your shit together and decide to be team heroes again we can sort of see this as the moment in which we or we can look back at this moment and be like you know he he had done a shitty thing But he's trying to at least somewhat be a a decent human being while doing questionable things with questionable people. Um, And hello, he is in the opening credits.
1: So... uh True and and honestly, like that's another. As I was saying last week, you know, the the expectation that he would uh, turn back is as much driven by the fact that we know he's a series regular and he's in the opening credits. Uh, now, wouldn't it be great if they started next week and he wasn't in the opening credits and his name didn't appear as a series regular? And, wait a second, did they just do a massive fakeout for us? Mm-hmm. Um, at Barry and Iris's loft, Ryan Wilder mysteriously shows up injured. Ryan tells Iris she was coming into the city when she was hit by an EMP, which caused her injury. She claims she was coming. Uh, she was also hit by the same Red Death in Gotham, and that Red Death, whoever they are, stole her tech. But Iris is skeptical. Uh, personally, I have to give a chef's kiss for Ryan's strategy of approaching Iris as herself. To me, it all sounded very plausible, and mm-hmm. I personally I thought it was a little surprising that iris was so suspicious we found out some of her justification later on but as for me i was thinking to myself well this sounds entirely plausible i don't see why iris would disagree with it Demetri, what did you think uh and did you think iris's skepticism was justified uh or just necessary to the story because you'd already sussed out that this was an alternate version of ryan
0: honestly thought this was an alternate version as in i thought that this ryan who was coming to iris and the ryan that had kidnapped barry were two different ryans you know what I, that
1: would make sense too right what if the real ryan had shown up in uh uh in central city just as you know the the red death was uh was monologuing in front of barry
0: yeah when she showed up especially when she had that like scar on her arm i was like oh this ryan you know took Our Ryan prisoner, and our Ryan has just been able to break free or
1: something. And you thought she also had the Pepe Le Pew? That was the only reason I didn't believe it, because I I agree with uh, Dimitri. I thought it sounded entirely reasonable. It would you know, allow them to bring our Ryan in, but she did have the Pepe Le Pew stream in her hair. That was the only reason I didn't think it was possible.
2: Right? She was immediately sus with the Pepe Le Pew. Wait, can we really—can we quickly— because we saw it from different angles and in different lighting. How do we feel about the wig this week?
0: I honestly thought it was better. I, last last time we saw her, it looked very much like a wig and like an unnecessarily bulky wig. I don't know if they changed the wig or they just, you know, were working with her, you know, ordinary Batwoman hair and just dyed it. Um, but this this week, it looked like a dye job, whereas... Last week, I felt it looked almost like a helmet, like it was such a badly done (laughs) wig. Okay, Um, I will co-sign that. It looked like a dye job this week. It looked like it was actually a part of her head.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think part of the difference is that last week we only saw her, you know, having just taken the helmet off. And so, like, the hair would have been stuffed down into that helmet space, which might have caused it to poof up more and make it look uh, a little less real. I thought it looked very real uh, in her scenes with uh, Iris and – uh, and I don't know whether it was it was probably a wig, but, you know, maybe they got Jabesia to uh, to put some temporary dye in for a few days. Uh, I don't know, but I agree. It did look quite realistic. Meanwhile, Red Death continues to taunt Barry and let him know that she isn't the avatar of the negative speed force. She reveals there's actually no one inside the armor. She's remotely controlling it, and she built her own speed. She needs Barry to power the treadmill because her speed is artificial, uh, and she's going to run Barry to death. Now, just a little more management advice for Red Death. Don't tell people you're going to kill them until after they do what you want. Uh, so Jeff, I'm going to ask you a question now, and then I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen to you afterwards. I liked the helmet reveal. It's, it's a little cheesy when you think about it, you know, because of the way they're intercutting it, you know, that did lead to that assumption that, oh, this could be our version of Ryan. And maybe she's just gotten a white streak in her hair since we last saw her. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's really, it's not until after that reveal of the empty suit in the helmet You know, in the next scene where we hear Ryan is listening in, we realize that she's controlling it remotely. So I thought that was, personally, I thought that was a great reveal. Uh, I've talked to Dimitri about this. Uh, Jeff, what did you think about how they played? They sort of soft played. They allowed us to believe, well, maybe this is our Ryan. Uh, You know, maybe there are two different Ryans out there. How did you think it worked? I do
2: agree with you. It was a good reveal. I thought the, when the, uh, I guess the suits, you know, um, off with her head, uh, it was in- incredibly fascinating because we had never really seen something like that before on The Flash, so I thought it was a, a really good creative choice. From the beginning, I knew that that was going to be her, though, that was visiting Iris, just because, I mean, the streak. I mean, had she covered it up or something, you know? Wear and- a
1: hat? A hat. A, a fashionable kerchief? Something. Back- and cowl?
2: Yes, something, because, I mean, we as viewers know that she has a gray streak, So it, and, and, like, our Ryan Wilder does not have a gray streak. Even, even you know, with the, the complexities and the stresses of the job, I don't think that would have happened um, in, in the short amount of time since we've last seen her. But, um, okay, so this is what I thought was going down. Like, I thought what we were seeing was, even though it was being spliced together from the editors, as if it was all happening at the same time. Like, I thought what we were seeing with Iris was, you know, either after the conversation that Red Death was having with Barry, or, well, it would have been after, because she did the whole um, Hulk clap to turn the power off uh, while she was with, uh, wait, did she? Now I'm trying to remember. When the hell did she do the super clap? Was it uh, the suit that did the super clap? Bivolo,
1: just after Bivolo uh, brought Barry down.
2: Okay, so wait, so are we supposed to believe that it was, it was her, right? We knew that it was her, Ryan, it wasn't just the suit that did the super clap,
1: right? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming she was in the suit when she did okay. the super clap, and then it was just that, you know, allowing the suit to run on its own when she was talking yeah, to I love uh, how uh, we're doctors. calling it the super clap, <laughs> but anyway, it was like the whole clap, you know what I'm saying? Like, what? And you know what, when you get super clap, you get super penicillin.
2: Exactly. Oh yes, that is very true. Make a note of that, Dimitri, as just in case. But um, anyway. Ooh, why me? I don't know. Cause you're what here. What
0: you trying to say? Babe? I don't know.
2: You're here. Uh, but anyway, um. So okay, okay, okay. So anyway, so I thought what they were gonna do. I thought what they were doing was like an editing trick. And then you know, after the conversation with Barry, like she would have like been like, "And here's Iris," but no. So. This Ryan Wilder is just like a super genius. Like, I give her props. Like, Tony Stark, you need to bow down. Because what she was doing was incredibly impressive. And uh, I was just like, okay, this is something brand new that we have never seen before. And I'm really digging it.
1: Um, Iris figures out that this Ryan is not right somehow and confronts her. Ryan pleads her case, explaining she's from another timeline where the Flash is the villain. She explains there was no Batman in her world. The Waynes adopted her as a child. Then they were murdered. She became Gotham's protector. She studied all of her enemies' technology and made her own copies before studying her allies and making her own, uh, you know, uh, 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 technology based on her allies powers as well, including an artificial speed force. Uh, she says she eliminated crime before it happened, which should be uh, a big, you know, uh, a big danger point right there. Minority says report. Flash, hello. But she says her flash turned against her to help stop her. And she's tried to hide in the speed force, but it rejected her. She's now just trying to get home so she can stop flash and his rogues. And she needs Iris's help. Dimitri, uh, Jeff had his chance to to weigh in on this. Uh, you, like me, thought hmm, that could be uh, our uh, our Ryan. We find out here it definitely isn't. I thought her story was plausible, and I thought Javicia Leslie played it very straight. Uh compared to how she acts later in the episode, this is this is very much, you know. Trust me, I'm Ryan Wilder. Uh, did you buy it at all?
0: I thought for a second. Oh, I've got it. This is the Ryan from the alternate timeline that Reverse Flash made. Yes, where I he thought that made. Too the Flash into the villain. And so this Ryan, one, we saw her being best friends with Iris in that timeline. And she was like, oh, the Flash needs to be stopped. She, you know, somehow transported to this timeline and is now hell-bent on, you know, taking down the Flash. I, for a second, I was like, oh, it all comes full circle. I've got it figured out. But, you know, instead it's just an alternate timeline and she's totally lying, which uh, Iris finds out in a second. To some degree, some part of me would have preferred the, the version I thought it was, but, um, you know, this works too. Um, I I did find it interesting that the the Ryan who has the origin story closer to Bruce Wayne is the one who is more prone to go... Quote unquote evil so yeah um i i thought it was uh i thought it was definitely interesting i uh i did not see it coming at all when she said uh when she said um you know in my timeline the flash is a villain i one hundred percent believed her and I thought you know for whatever reason. She needs to take down the Flash. Um, But apparently in all timelines, the Flash is good. Iris is his lightning rod. It's only Batwoman who can
1: turn evil. At the lair, Mark tries to offer Barry some water, and Barry tells him he doesn't have to help Red Death. But Mark says it's too late for him. Barry insists he's part of Team Flash, even after what he's done, and people make mistakes. As we've said before, how is he considered part of Team Flash? He's just a guy who hung around with Frost. Clearly, they're setting up Mark's face turn at the end. At this point, I thought it was a little clumsy. Uh, they did get away, you know, by him offering the water and, and basically saying, you know, uh, we can talk. And then Barry just shouting at him from two feet away. Uh, pretty much indicated, OK, I don't think uh, Mark is, uh, is a sleeper agent after all. Uh, but, Jeff. I did think, you know, they were just sort of hitting us over the head with the idea of, of, uh, no, no, clearly marks on the other side. I think that was this is where they really tipped their hand that he's going to, you know, do the face turn at the end. Uh, What did you think? Um, I think that if they hadn't played it up so much, then his turn at the end might have been a little more surprising. But after this scene, it was just so dramatically obvious that's what they were going to do.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Barry needed to have a little talk no jutsu moment, and and that's basically what he did. I will say. The little line of shade that Red Death, or I think it was Robo Red Death, did to uh, Barry, where where she was like, Oh, you know, you see the best in the criminals, but you see the worst in your allies! And I was like, even though, like, now we know she's from a different timeline, I'm like, hmm... There's a little ring of truth into
1: that... (laughs) We have occasionally commented that the the biggest villain traditionally in uh, the Flash TV show has been Barry.
2: Yeah, although he's gotten Uh, better. He's gotten better. I will say that.
1: Back at the West Allen home, Iris isn't buying Ryan's story, and Ryan reveals she accidentally killed her Iris while fighting the Flash, her version of the Flash. This is getting confusing. Uh, Iris gets Ryan angry enough to reveal she wants to kill Barry. On the other hand, Ryan seems to have been hoping that somehow she and Iris could still be besties afterwards. Jeff, how did you like how the scene <laughs> yes. played out and how Javisia played her heel turn? Um, I, at first, I thought Iris was disarmed too easily, but then I remembered, oh, yeah, this is Ryan Wilder and an even better version of Ryan Wilder than we're yeah. used to. So I accepted it.
2: Yeah, this Ryan Wilder is OP. There was a part of me that was hoping that Iris go- was gonna be OP because they kept on talking about like the creamer and the this is that or the other and I was like, oh are you like poisoning her? Did you like drop in like a sedative or something? Like I was hoping Iris did something. And then she pulled out a gun, which is the you know I feel like that's the Iris West Island trademark at this point. And um, I was like, okay, I mean, I don't know what that gun was gonna do because like she's like a speedster or, or, even though it's artificial. So there, that, there's that like that whole thing, um, but I was like, all right, Iris, you're being a badass, which I approve of. I'm going to say this. I don't know if it was, if there were questionable comments on social media about this. Like maybe Dimitri can fill us in because I know because I liked the whole I am vengeance from last week, but apparently in social media, some people had a bit of an issue with that. I kind of liked seeing Javicia Leslie play. A rainbow cavalcade of emotions in this episode. Like, I loved seeing her be incredibly subdued and kind of calculating as, like, a interpretation of the Ryan Wilder that we knew. Because, like, when she started talking to Iris and she was being all sweet and kind and, like, you know, we're friends, right? And I know your house. Like, all of that was, like, really... I was like, I was like, believing her. Like, I was like, okay, this feels like is trying to tap into the Ryan Wilder that we know and love. But then, when she started talking about, like, you know, uh, you want to get crazy. I was like, okay, like, Javisa Leslie plays batshit crazy um, very well and convincingly. I think uh, the the clinical term of what she was portraying is cray-cray. And the cray-cray was good for me. Like, I was digging it. Like, she was... She went from zero to, like, a billion over the span of, like, 30 seconds. And I enjoyed that. And we see a little bit more of the cray-cray later on, and, and that was spectacular as well. It was like she was embracing kind of like the over-the-top insanity and camp of, uh, like, comic book villains, and and so I enjoyed the gamut of emotions that Javicia Leslie brought. I also want to say I'm glad that I was a thousand percent wrong in what I thought, or where I thought this storyline was going uh, the previous time that we uh, gathered together to discuss a Flash episode. I'm so glad that I was, like, super wrong, nothing that what I said was true, I'm glad the reverse flash, it appears, it was not involved in any of this, so yeah, uh, all of the the exposition-y tidbits that we got was really fascinating, and I loved, we gotta give props, we love uh, Iris West Allen here, and the fact that she was able to, through just conversation, go to the root of what this Ryan Wilder was doing and and to completely see through all of the shenanigans was Chef's Kiss.
1: Evil Ryan uses Iris' as bait to force Barry to run on the cosmic treadmill, which he does. He gets on the treadmill and starts causing lightning to strike all through the city, including at the West House, where Cecile is able to use her powers, fortunately, to save Jenna uh, and then takes off to help save the neighbors. Dimitri, uh, I didn't get a chance to ask you about this. Uh, but, uh, you know, despite the, um, uh, Jenna almost dying, the episode ends with Joe agreeing to stay in the city with Cecile and raise their daughter in this extremely dangerous environment. Um, (laughs) were you surprised by that turn at the end, given what happened here? Uh, This to me felt like the moment when Joe could simply go, yes, see, yes, see, but they did a little twist on us.
0: So two things bugged me about this scene. One is that in in earlier seasons, um, whenever Joe's talked about his kids, he's made it a point to mention Barry as one of his kids. Um, and uh, in this episode, he was like, oh, you know, there's Iris, and then there was Wally, and now there's Jenna. And that that's it. That's all my kids, which is like, oh. Um, but then also, it does seem like Look, we we have to, which I think we discussed last week as well, we have to get out of here um, so that, you know, uh, you and our daughter can be safe. And he's like, I mean, my other daughter and, you know, my adopted son can die. But, you know, this daughter we have to keep alive. Um, It just, it seems very not Joe. Um, She is
2: a child.
0: Are you really going
2: (laughs) saying that you are disgusted by joe wanting to keep his
0: little girl alive well i it does seem like you know joe has you know different standards of concern for his family which isn't the papa joe we know i mean you know he was very upset when we all well when he thought uh you know barry was destined to die um it it, it just seems it seemed like, oh, we need a little bit of conflict here. And also, um, you know, we sort of want, uh, want, you know, like her powers to sort of save the day and her to sort of come into a hero in her own right. But Joe has been through all this stuff with Barry already. So, so just... you're
2: expressing that you have concerns that Papa Joe is worried for his single digit daughter
0: for but her not safety his other children who who
2: one well one who is protected by someone who has mastered the speed force and the other one who is involved with the speed force as well
0: I mean, yes, but he also <laughs> has a superpowered wife who can take care of this daughter. Well that by is that true. I, I
2: I can see that point, but I don't I don't understand how you are you are disgusted by Papa I Joe mean, if Jeff wanting ever to has
0: kids. Child, let's all keep an eye on them after they turn 18 because apparently Jeff is okay with them dying as soon as they are of age. The
2: <laughs> I, rest love tr- of us, I love you how know, I'm twisting your words and now you're twisting them back.
1: Touche. Jeff lives in Florida. His kids will be alligator bait long before they make 18. That is true. Enough. At Star Labs, now that the meta cuffs are off Barry, the rogues have a location and Allegra has a teleporter. So while they're in process of coming, Mark sabotages the treadmill, temporarily taking down Ryan and destroying the device. Barry can't run because his speed's been drained, so Mark goes to hold off the evil rogues. One last selfless act from this longtime member of Team Flash. The rogue squad shows up to rescue Barry, but they leave Mark behind, seemingly dead. Dimitri is Mark dead? Standard comic book logic would say no, if only because he's still in the show opening. But with Ryan being back from another world, could that mean that we're going to get the same actor playing a different version of Mark to finish out the season? And I ask this because does this version of Mark have to die after all the bad stuff he's been doing and his creepy fixation on his dead girlfriend?
0: I mean, I really thought it was the very tired trope of somebody does bad things, then they, you know, turn back to a redemption arc, but it would be really clunky if they, you know, had to then be, you know, reintegrated into society or, you know, they, they would have to, you know, be arrested or whatever, it would just be not as Hollywood an ending if, uh, if uh, they just survived that arc so they die at the end, uh, you know the the Darth Vader phenomenon, but uh this is the show where a human trafficker and human murderer just kind of got to chill for a while. So I thought, if any show is not going to engage in that trope. It would be this show and Mark can come back and Barry will just be like, bruh, just don't do that again. But he actually died. I, I wasn't. No, we don't know. He's an dead. I, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty. If he's not dead, he's not dead. He look like Barry just looks like such an asshole. <laughs> he because... did not. It was not his choice. I, well, the team, I guess. The team as a whole look like such assholes. Well, yes, it, they are, because they're criminals. back for him. Um, instead, they're all just like, he's dead. He's, he's not alive. dead. Um, my whole
2: worry about this storyline is, I mean, clearly he's not dead. He will be back. Um, I just hope that it's not, like... I did a good thing, and you left me behind, and so now I'm very pissed at y'all, and I'm one hundred percent team bad guy. Like, I, I just, I don't want to see that. Like, I, you know, if, if that's that would the storyline, too
0: many tropes, right?
1: For, uh, for even this show,
2: if that's the, would, if that's where they're going, I, would I hope much you stay rather dead. have
1: a Mark Port in from another universe. Um, you know, simply to avoid, uh, you know, that the, the temptation to go down that road, because you could even argue that the way it was cut, he said, you guys go. And then they showed up. And so he was busy fighting the other rogues, So he didn't see Barry trying to save him. So that would lead to his resentment because everything in the Arrowverse is based on people not communicating effectively. No. My only problem with Mark somehow surviving to next week is that would mean that he survived, you know, a one versus four against, you know, four rogues. And he didn't have any powers. Plus, the Red Death was recovering, and you know somehow let him live. The only way I will accept it is if we cut to him, you know basically strapped to a slab covered in scars uh and and someone doing horrible uh you know uh things to him uh as a form of torture, otherwise, it would make no sense for him to still be alive.
2: I will say he was handling himself pretty well, as much like shit talking that y'all do about him. I don't mind him, but he isn't a favorite or anything, but he was handling himself pretty well with them like he grabbed i think it was like a pipe and he's like bashed the fiddle out of the fiddler like he was i give him his props if he does end up dying then he went out fighting so props to him yeah he
1: had as as i say you know the you know all you can hope for in in these shows is is a good ending uh that your your character you know dies a hero uh, the team realizes Ryan's now stuck in their timeline, so that's not good. Allegra goes to talk to Chester because, wow, what a terrible sense of timing you have, Allegra. Let's make this all about you. Uh, Mark's death has made her ready to deal with the situation between them. It's it's funny, isn't it, how Mark's death seems to be bothering people a lot more than <laughs> Caitlyn's death ever did? Because, yeah. Um, yeah, no one seemed to say boo about Caitlyn dying, but Mark's died and suddenly everyone's rethinking their place in life. Uh, Jeff, Chester's now the one who isn't ready because he just doesn't feel like this is the time. Uh, and after all, we still have eight episodes, so better drag this out some more, but oh my God, we were talking about tropes a minute ago, the trope of the one person who wants to talk, but you know, the other person can't. And then the other person wants to talk and oh no, now I can't. And oh, now let's just have more meaningful looks at each other. It's Smallville all over again and not in the good way. Uh, so Jeff, what did you think about our, uh, our resolution? Uh, such as it is on the, the Chester Allegra thing and, and I use resolution scare quotes because yeah. it's obviously not.
2: All right. I feel like, you know, whenever we write something, like let's say if you're in high school or, or at university and you write like a term paper and you've poured your heart and soul into it and you feel like you've written the best damn term paper of your life and then the you know, the instructor, the professor ends up handing back your work and it's an F. That's what I would say about this, because I'm sure they think that this is like the love story to end all love stories. These people are not Jack and Rose, and this is not the Titanic. Although this ship is going down in, in the uh, northern Atlantic. What the hell is this storyline? Like, OK, um, Allegra, we should talk. I can't talk to you right now. My girl Frost is dead, and this is just not an appropriate time. All right, Chuck, I'm ready to talk. I can't talk to you right now. My boy Chill Blaine has died, and I just can't talk about us. But we know where we stand, and when it's a good time, we will connect. Y'all are fucking 30 years old. Who the hell do you think you are? 16-year-olds in high school? The, the kids in Riverdale move faster than you two. Faster than you two. What the hell is going on? Like, I don't understand this storyline. I guess the writers think that this is, like, somehow going to make me root for them. Listen, they have chemistry. They are cute together. But I'm just not invested in them anymore. And I feel like I was the only one out of all of us that was ever even slightly invested in the little chemistry that they had. And they do have it. But I don't know what this is. And it's incredibly stupid for lack of a better word.
1: And it's kind of crazy that, you know, because the writers are clearly just dragging this out and stringing it out. It's not like it's it's a significant plot point. It's not like, you know, this is the the resolution of all resolutions or that this is something that people have been pining for for nine years. This is not a Kate Coe situation. Uh, this is, you know, clearly just, uh, well, we got to drag it out some more. Because if they, let's say they did, you know, uh, after the kiss, they they talked about like mature adults, and they said, "Hey, let's date, or hey, let's not date," and just got it out of the way. Would that have changed anything that happens in the show? No. No. It's, this is just a way of ginning up another, you know, ten minutes of content every episode that doesn't go anywhere.
2: And they could have done content dating shenanigans. They're out, hey. you know, at the local haunt, and they, you know, some sort of like metahuman, you know, uh, wants to like. I don't know, steal the money from the cash, I don't know what the hell, I'm just making shit up right now, but like, they could have done something like that, and then they team up, and they take down the baddie, and like, the Flash uh, team, like, has no idea that they they got into, you know, whatever, whatever, like, that could have been much more interesting than dragging out a romance that clearly is going to happen, and it has been five years in the making, like, it, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Finally, at Red Death's lair, Red Death has a full meltdown and decides that since she can't get back to her own world, she's just going to have to take over this one. So kudos to you for adapting to circumstances, Red Death. And shout out to Javicia Leslie for going full supervillain and just chewing the scenery in that final scene. I don't care if people thought it was a bit over the top. She's nailing what a supervillain should be on The Flash. Uh, and I think, you know, we enjoyed it that much more this episode because we got to see her doing it, you know, without the mask. Uh, Every other time we've seen, you know, soliloquizing from uh, uh, Red Death, it's been, you know, with the mask on. Here we're able to see Javicia Leslie just giving it the full facial expressions. And some of her facial expressions throughout the episode were delightful. Uh, Guys, we know next week is the mask of the Red Death part two. And presumably that's going to be the end of the Red Death arc. So what are you expecting? How are we going to resolve this? And, you know, what's going to be set up for the next arc? I'll start with you, Jeff.
2: Oh gosh, um, echoing everything you said about her, though, about Chavisa Lessa, she was fantastic, even though it was ridiculously over-the-top, but it was ridiculously over-the-top in a spectacular kind of way. Oh god, like, I don't know how this ends, um, in my heart of hearts, I feel like we need to find out where our Ryan Wilder is, so, clearly they're gonna have to deal with the Red Death, my hope is that after they deal with the Red Death, we actually see our Ryan Wilder safe and sound. Uh, in, my, in the back of my mind, I feel like the Red Death kidnapped her. I don't know why she would do that, though. But, um, I mean, she's crazy anyway. So, I mean, why not? As far as how they're gonna get rid of her, I feel like the only appropriate thing would be to send her back to her timeline. But I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I feel like the most appropriate thing outcome would be that Barry creates a wormhole, throws her in, and, uh, you know, we don't need to see her pay for her sins, but, like, we know that she is back where she should be and that that Flash is clearly, um, getting payback or something. Um, as far as, like, how we get there, though, like, I really have no idea. All I know is that I really want to see Javicia Leslie as this Ryan Wilder, um, go absolute cray in uh, Central City.
1: Uh, they could just have Iris Shooter in the face. That's always worked in previous seasons. That is true.
0: They're saving what that for the finale.
1: What are you expecting for next week?
0: I am kind of expecting this Ryan Wilder to die. I don't think you can send her back to her timeline because she's just going to go serial killer then and, uh, you know, Barry, you know, that's that's not a very Flash thing to do. What I'm anticipating happening is they're going to have her cornered. She's going to shoot a lightning bolt or something similar. And, you know, by the derpiest of all derps, she's going to hit herself with the lightning bolt and die. Oh, that's good.
2: Oh, that means that she's going to be extra derpy.
0: Yeah, I, I don't imagine this Ryan Wilder surviving... Through the uh, through this season, particularly as it's kind of the end of the Arrowverse um, with the end of this season. You know, I could see her maybe being a recurring baddie if uh, if, you know, there were more Arrowverse shows going on and maybe she comes back in a crossover or something. But given that, you know, this is kind of the end of the Arrowverse, I am expecting her to die.
1: Uh, yeah, I I honestly don't know. I, I could see it going either way. Um, uh, My thinking is I think it's more likely that, that Jeff is right in that, you know, Barry will just open up a portal, shove her through, and, you know, she's her world's problem now after obviously, you know, deactivating her suit and leaving her theoretically powerless. But, you know, she'd still be, you know, uh, Ryan Wilder with all that knowledge. I think she'd still be quite uh, dangerous. Uh, my reason for kind of hoping it's more um, uh, Jeff's um, – uh, approach than, than Dimitri's is that if that did happen, then we might get a scene on the other side and it would be a great opportunity to throw in a, like a little fan service, you know, tip of the hat or, you know, a character that we haven't seen for some time, uh, in a different role or something along those lines. Um, so I think that would be a possibility, but the more I think about it, the more I think that Dimitri's right, it does sort of feel like she has to die by her own hand and maybe have a moment of, you know, trying to, uh, to resolve things. Uh, with our version of Iris and and get some semblance of forgiveness uh, before she expires. Wow, what a downer note. Before we move on to the MVP section, was there anything else anyone wanted to mention? An Easter egg, a great moment or a moment of cringe? Um, in addition to the superstitious cowardly lot reference that I mentioned earlier, we did get the second classic quote with her saying, I am vengeance, I am the night, and then I am the red death. Um, I mentioned last week. I thought the writers might be going that way. You can call it fan service if you like, but I'm a fan and I enjoyed it. Uh, and you know, honestly, that felt to me, as I said last week, like a little tip of the hat to uh, uh, to uh, to you know, uh, Batman the animated series and the the classic Batman of our times.
2: I will say, well, number one, just a quick, just reiteration that Barry called uh, Keon Caitlin which I was like, was that an editing mistake? You know, it was that was interesting. Also, Keown kept on talking about how the energies of the world and balance and all this kind of stuff which sort of adds to our collective theory that she will be some sort of Mother Nature type of um, superhero. And the other thing is with this woman, Ryan Wilder from a different timeline, I feel like our team needs to fully now realize that the multiverse is real. Like, remember, they had thought that the multiverse ended with Crisis, and now with this character, I feel like we need to have some sort of exposition-y conversation After the next episode where they all are like, oh, so wait, I thought we wiped out the multiverse. The multiverse must still exist. It must have been reborn and there are still all these other Earths out there. Like, I just need acknowledgement from them about that.
1: It's time for the MVP section. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. Uh, I am going to depart from tradition here. I'm going to go first, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take me some Javicia Leslie. Uh, I love seeing Ryan Wilder again, and, and I really love the way Javisia played it throughout. Uh, as we said, in the scenes where she was talking with Iris, uh, you know she was, she was playing it very straight, very believable. As soon as she realized doubt, Iris doubted her— you could just see the, the look in her eyes of, oh, I gave myself away. I, I wonder what I did wrong. Uh, I just thought she she was great. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with her uh, next episode as well. But, uh, man, uh, just she was tremendous. Uh, not only, you know, the fan service of bringing her back. I wasn't sure about that when I heard about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Javicia is just, she seemed to be having more, uh, you know, as much fun as she seemed to have on Batwoman, I thought she was having more fun coming in. For two character, two arcs, or two episodes, you know, playing the baddie, uh, Jeff. Who is your MVP?
2: That's a fantastic choice. I believe she was probably number one on
1: all of our lists. So <laughs> yes. I couldn't leave this one to chance.
2: Oh yes, I'm sure you would not have gotten her. So uh, so yes, I will, I will give you a hat tip for going first. Um, I am going to go with Iris West Allen as my MVP. Sorry, Dimitri. But I just, I mean, I have to go with that scene where she figures everything out. Like, oh, gosh, it was just brilliantly played by Candace Patton. Uh, just spectacular. Like, we we know that our Iris does not know our Ryan Wilder. So the, the chemistry was very interesting. Like, we saw a glimpse of what it would be like to have... Uh, both Candace Patton and Javicia Leslie in that alternate universe uh, timeline, whatever the hell, um, couple of episodes last season. And so, like, actually seeing them together... In the beginning, not really knowing or them, them sort of like trying to make it seem a certain kind of way, but then we found out the truth and this, that, or the other. Um, just them together was really nice. And, and Candace Patton did a really good job, job of playing off of her. And then, you know, just the icing on the cake was her figuring everything out, whipping out that gun and, and ready to do uh, the Iris West Allen way of life. It was just fantastic. I got to give her the
0: MVP.
1: Dimitri, who is your MVP and why?
0: Before I give my MVP, I feel like honorable mention has to go to the face Javisha Leslie made when Barry said, I'm not going to let her hurt you, Iris. She makes this, like, mocking pout.
1: Oh, her facial went, expressions were so good all through the episode. Um, Just, oh, my God, she was just tremendous.
0: Yeah, no, that that pout, like. I saw it circulating as a gif on Twitter and I was just like, yeah, no, that was hilarious. She almost, it's almost like she's saying, oh, fuck you. Like it just, it was so perfect. I, you cannot replicate it on an audio only podcast, but I feel like that pout was, was worth a mention. My MVP, uh, since you guys took both of mine, it hurts me to say this. But I do think chilblaine was played oh. well.
1: Ah, <laughs> we forced you to do it. I mean, to be fair,
0: you know he's he's had a weird plot um you know um it's uh it's not you know he he's been at least for me, I found him a very hard character to like, but I do think the actor played the conflict in his you know face and his mannerisms throughout this episode very very well and even though it went down a very traditional trope i think you know it wasn't overdone um it was you know a little bit subtle you could sort of see him wavering um it brought the you know very cliche kind of predictable trope to a more satisfying conclusion i think because it was played so well um so you know much respect uh I don't actually know the actor's name who plays Joe Blaine, but much respect. Uh, I think
1: uh, I think you did good. One thought that just occurred to me with with all the love that we, we've all given to uh, to Javicia Leslie's uh, you know, portrayal of the baddie. We're forgetting she spent two years doing a master class acting opposite, uh, you know, Rachel Scarson as sort of the ultimate comic book baddie. You know, wouldn't would it, would it be surprising to find out that when Javicia got the gig, she just, you know, called up uh, Rachel and said, ah, uh, they want me to play a baddie. How should I do that? Girl, sit down, let me tell you, uh, because she was definitely, uh, you know, uh, just delightfully over the top. I thought uh, uh, just the right tone and, and something that, you know, we don't always get, you know, when the flash gets a little too dour. Uh, it's more fun when the villains are having fun as well. Uh, OK, it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate the episode on a scale of one to ten lightning bolts? The uh, the point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Uh, I learned my lesson after being slapped down for my enthusiasm last week, so I'll go last. Dimitri, how would you rate this episode?
0: I would give this episode an 8.5. It was enjoyable. Um, There were a few parts where I couldn't see exactly where it was going. Javisha Leslie was a fun to watch, uh, you know, a joy to watch. Um... Yeah, you know, uh, definitely some parts were like, oh, "Okay, I see where this is headed," but um, you know, they managed the tension decently well, and you know, so last episode was definitely a bit of a struggle. But I think this was a was definitely a, a step up for the
1: for the season. Jeff, how would you rate the episode?
2: I'm coming in a little higher. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. I was thoroughly entertained from beginning to end. Javicia Leslie was spectacular in this episode, but I would say our main cast was actually really good and also loved how they used uh, the Flash's rogues in this episode as well. And uh, we did have a really good uh, cliffhanger ending. So yeah, I thought this part one was very successful. So nine and a half from me.
1: I, I'm I'm a little torn here. Usually I would split the difference between the two of you and go with a nine uh, because there was so much to love with uh, the Javisha stuff uh, and so much to hate with the Chester and Allegra stuff. But overall, I do think that the good outweighed the bad that, you know, I'm not going to remember, you know, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. I'm not going to remember the interminable Chester and Allegra of it all. I will remember Javicia Leslie's performance in this. So I'm going to give it a 9.5 as well. I think it's definitely rewatchable, if only for Javicia. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's always tricky to, uh, to, to try to give a grade to the first half of a two-parter. We kind of have to see if they can stick the landing. But they have set things up in an interesting way. So join us next time for a brand new installment of The Central City Citizen. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us.
2: Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychuloradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on air personality? Email talent at poppychuloradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe.
1: Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting with Jeff. Good night,
2: listeners. Stay safe out there. The Red Death is haunting your city.
1: And Dimitri. Good night, Central City. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to The Central City Citizen by Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Friday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night. And thank you to my dog for not barking this time.